0: Hi, Christian. Thank you for making the time today here at Red Bull.
1: Pleasure. Great to have you here.
0: So we're getting into race weekend at Silverstone. What, what does that look like for you? What are the different responsibilities that you have right now?
1: Well, it's always a busy build-up to the British Grand Prix. So as our as our second home race within a two-week period. So off straight off the back of Austria last Sunday, um, there's a lot of sponsors, a lot of um, uh, you know friends of the team. A huge amount of interest. A lot of our employees will be up at Silverstone over the weekend as well. So, um, you know, it's always a, a very busy weekend.
0: You are team principal and CEO. Mm-hmm. People know you manage the team. What does it actually entail?
1: Well, it entails um, you, you know a huge amount of variance. So. I always liken it to for 23 race weekends of the year, I'm the team principal of a high performing sports team and for the other um, 52 weeks of the year from Monday to Friday, I'm the CEO of a high tech technology business. So um, it's wearing the different caps for the different roles.
0: How much of your time is spent thinking about the car, talking to the driver, and how much is spent on dealing with the sponsors and the business and the shareholders?
1: I would say it varies from, from day to day to from month to month. I mean, obviously, the, the majority of my time is consumed in running the business, and the drivers are a key part of a Grand Prix weekend, but of course, you know, my main interaction with them is during a Grand Prix weekend. Um, so, uh, so, so, yeah, it's always, that's the great thing about this job is, you know, every day is a little bit different.
0: How do you deal with the schedule of the races? I mean, you're basically on the move. February through December, more than 20 races. How do you physically deal with that? It's
1: a brutal schedule and uh, I think, again, it's a marathon, not a sprint, so you have to pace yourself. And I think the weekends we do get off and and at home, you have to take a bit of time out. I have a young family, so to try and relax and switch off and forget about Formula One for at least half an hour. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and I think that's hugely important. Otherwise, it's impossible to sustain the 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 level of demand that the business can place on you.
0: When did you start getting into racing and F one? You're the longest serving team principal, right?
1: Yes, I, I have that <laughs> title now apparently. So uh, look, I, I started my career out as a driver. I was a, I started at the age of eleven uh, racing go karts and then progressed through uh, to the point that I I did some testing as a as a test driver in Formula One. Uh, but then I retired from driving in. In 1998, um, and focused on establishing my own team at, the, the, at that time, and, and moved into the role of managing people and working with people. And then Red Bull approached me when they acquired what was the Jaguar Formula One team to come and come and be the first team principal of Red Bull Racing.
0: And that brings us to today. Yeah. How did you guys get to be number one?
1: I think by having you know the right spirit, the right culture, the right people um you know around us within the team and attracting the best people to come and work here and and having you know great facilities great drivers and it's a team sport it's the biggest team sport in the world where you've got to get everybody um you know dancing in time obviously produce cars like we have and operate cars you know at all these grand Prix.
0: let's talk about the business for a while so how does number one impact the business of the Red Bull racing team?
1: Well, I think it, it, there's an old adage of, of uh, you know, win on Sunday and sell on Monday. So, uh, you know, Red Bull, what we do for the Red Bull brand, for the, for the energy drink, in advertising the product globally um, for 23 race weekends a year, um, you know, with the biggest marketing impact that uh, the beverage company has. So, so that's, um, you know, the main reason that Red Bull are involved in in, in Formula One, and of course, then we have many partners, a lot of American partners now. So people, you know, like Oracle as our as our title partner, you know, other other companies involved like ExxonMobil or Cash App, or you know, so many so many different brands that we have, you know, that we're that we're working with.
0: Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. So so there's a correlation between Absolutely. you winning and sales of the energy drink.
1: Absolutely, they, they, they see it, they can measure it, and I think that. Uh, particularly, uh, again, the drivers in their home territories. You know, Mexican sales have increased dramatically with Sergio being with the team, you know, Max Verstappen, the whole Benelux area. Um, it's incredible the amount of consumption of Red Bull that is that is happening and, uh, you know, we see that, that growth uh, globally.
0: Because it is interesting. It's not like Mercedes or McLaren where they're selling the cars. Yeah. Why does Red Bull, an energy drink maker, need a Formula One team?
1: Well, because I think you know, the, the shareholders, have always been passionate about racing and Formula One, and they saw it as the perfect platform to market their brand. And uh, it's the most viewed sport in the world outside of the Olympic Games and uh, the, the, the Football World Cup. But of course, they only happen four, every four years. Formula One is every two weeks. So the global reach that we're, we're achieving, the followers that we have, is the best possible way not just for Rebel, but for any partner associated with us to promote their brand.
0: Who, who are the shareholders? Who are the owners?
1: Well, the shareholders are split between the, the, the Udiva family, uh, the, the Thai family, and uh, the uh Mark Um So uh, you know, we have two shareholders and, and they're both hugely supportive of all our um, you know, activities.
0: How much involvement do they have versus you? controlling the team?
1: Obviously, you know, I, I have to report through the group into the shareholders, So, um, but they ultimately, it's their, 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 their choice, but I have to the responsibility of, of running the business and, and the accountability for that.
0: Is it a profitable investment for them?
1: Um, it, it, it depends how you view it. In terms of the recognition for the brand globally, um, what that would cost to advertise, absolutely. It's a huge success in the amount that it's promoting the Red Bull brand. And I think as, as the sponsorship and partnership and the income uh, improves and cost caps take effect on both chassis and engine in Formula One, uh, it becomes a much more sustainable um, you know, business. And we're seeing the intrinsic value of Formula One teams just increase dramatically.
0: So let's talk about the revenue side. It comes through sponsorships, mainly?
1: Well, you've got a, a, um, a split of, of revenues. You have the sponsorship that you raise as an individual team with the, the partners that you work with, and then, of course, the money coming into the sport through Liberty Media, how that's distributed through the prize fund represents you know significant numbers when with the amount of money that's obviously now flowing into the sport.
0: How has that changed over the years? It's,
1: it, it's increased significantly you know, with uh, the Liberty ownership. I mean, Bernie Eccleston did a great job in developing and building the business, and I think Liberty have now taken it to that next level as well, and, and uh, revenues have never been better.
0: So how much is it, the cost cap, in terms of profitability and, and making the teams more efficient? Well, I think
1: the cost cap has had an effect because it's driven efficiency into the business, which in turn, as the popularity has increased, revenues have increased significantly, and so you know, each team is, is um, in a very healthy position. Um, historically, there would have been always been two teams that were struggling to hang on. Now we have ten very, very healthy franchises in Formula One.
0: Does it limit you as to what you can do further on R and D and innovation?
1: Uh, you just have to be choosy in where you sp- you know, choose to spend your investments. So I think it makes us be selective, um, but we still want to innovate. We still want to. Um, be pushing the boundaries.
0: How much of, of what comes in goes toward development of the cars and figuring out design to make them faster? 75%. What about the other 25?
1: Well, the other 25% you've got to run the business and pay drivers and, um, and people and, and, and so on. But there's a huge amount of investment that goes into technology and, and designing and producing these cars.
0: Many think you, you have the best car. Uh-huh. I mean, you're, you're more than two seconds often ahead of the the second place finish how how did that happen
1: i think that's a culmination there's no silver bullets and i think it's it's every department having to be delivering their part whether that's on the chassis on the aero on the mechanical design on the operational side on the engine side on the driver's side so it's a it's a culmination of all those elements needing to come together to 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 deliver and i think that um uh, as i say there's no silver bullets in this sport it's about hard work, teamwork, and uh, working collectively.
0: What about the Oracle partnership? When when did that happen? How did that come together?
1: Well, that came together um, in time for the 21 um, season. And we've been using their technology and the cloud technology, and as well as some of their CRM and uh, technology, we're using some of their, their tools to help us make faster decisions on the pit wall as well, with the amount of simulations that we can run in, Within a Grand Prix, so that started in 21 and it was so successful that it grew to a title partnership in 2022. That we became Oracle Red Bull Racing.
0: What about the other sponsors? Who are they, and what do they bring?
1: We have so many partners. We have 52 different partners across uh, across the team now, across all all different categories. You know, if you go from TAG Heuer, the, the the classic watch brand, or Exxon Mobil, that are producing all of our fuels and 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 lubricants. Uh, we have. You know, companies like, like Cash App, we have companies like uh, Bybit. Um, so we have so many different brands you know, that, we're, that, that we're working with that uh, are all making great use of Formula One.
0: What about the prize money? How does that work now that you're at the top? How much more do you get than the, than the other teams?
1: Well, the prize money is essentially split into three columns, so you get one column for participation, you get one column for where you finish in the Constructors' Championship. Then there is a third column that is, all has a historical content to it. So, for example, Ferrari benefit the most from that column because they're the longest standing um, team. So it's, it's a complicated matrix, but that's how fundamentally it flows into the sport.
0: What are your thoughts on, on some of the rules and regulations? There have been improvements in safety, um, big regulations on 2022, and now ones we're looking ahead on 2026.
1: Yeah. I, look, I think the FIA do a great job on safety. If you look how safety has improved with Formula One cars over the years, it has been phenomenal to think that Roman Grosjean could um, survive an accident like he did in Bahrain. is unimaginable. Um, so uh, you have to give full credit to the FIA on the grounds of safety. And, of course, occasionally we get big shake, a big shake-up in regulations, where, um, like we had for 2022 and we're getting another one in 2026, that encompasses both power unit and engine, that keeps everybody on their toes.
0: This relates to sustainability, and 50-50, right, electric? Yeah. It's, so what's the problem with that? Well, we're
1: running on fully sustainable fuel, um, and uh, I think one of the challenges is the the amount of recovery that we can generate to fill a battery at certain circuits has limitations too, So, and how the engines will operate. So. Uh, without there being too much reliance on the chassis with um, active aero to compensate um, for, the, for the lack of recovery on the engine. So, so we've just got to, make, got to make sure we got that ratio right because at the end of the day, the product has to be entertaining. It has to be wheel-to-wheel racing between the best drivers in the world, and we mustn't overlook that in the pursuit of um, uh, you know, absolute technology.
0: I had a chance to be on the gridwalk, which was pretty amazing. What is that like for you? What are you doing at that point?
1: Well, there's obviously there's a huge amount of um, uh, activity going on in the build-up, and, and you know, you've got media there, you've got got sponsors and partners there. But the most important thing for me is: are the cars okay? Are the mechanics happy? Are the drivers where they should be? Are they are they um, you know in the zone?
0: Yeah. What's going through your mind? I think moment. you're
1: thinking, you're trying to imagine scenarios, that, uh, how the, the start could uh, turn out and, you know, the what-ifs. Um, but I have sort of a ritual that I will go through um, or a sequence of events. Which is what? Events from the point that I shake the driver's hand from the right-hand side, I walk back to the garage, um, I watch the start of the race from the garage, um, you know, I just want to make sure that the mechanics are, uh, you know, they're all where where they they need to be, that they're all looking calm and and everything is un- under control. And then once the race is started, I walk across to the pit wall, plug in, and and get uh, get fully involved in the strategy.
0: Are you superstitious? Yeah. Very.
1: Oh, very yeah, enough. And I is think that why it, you shake on
0: the right side? I,
1: yeah, always. You, you know, and I think that. It's just a sequence of events that you go through that helps put yourself in the, in, in the mindset for the, for the Grand Prix. It gets rid of all the distractions.
0: You, you've obviously become <clears throat> a, a, a celebrity. Is it because of Drive to Survive?
1: I think Drive to Survive has played a big role in that. I mean, in the motorsport world, we're all reasonably well known. But Drive to Survive take it to a whole new dimension beyond the sport. And I think that's been a, that's been a game changer.
0: How have you seen the, the popularity of F1 change over the
1: years? I think it's been massive, the shift um, over the last five years, but particularly since the pandemic, I think people sitting at home watching box sets and content, that's really where Drive to Survive really took off. And I think that uh, the success that that's generating in the U.S. is, is, is uh, amazing. So really the last, the last few years.
0: You've, you've always seen clearly you, were, one of the first to, you yep. were the first to participate in Drive to Survive. Why, why is it so important to have now the cameras around and to bring, bring the reason, folks in? The reason I was
1: very supportive of it because I thought it, it, there's so much more to Formula One than just the race itself, the personalities, the characters, the, the politics, the, the comp- competition. And so I think giving, just lifting the lid slightly on that and seeing not even 10% of what goes on um, is very, very compelling. And uh, you get to see some of the characters and some of the, some of the um, challenges that teams up and down the grid face.
0: You mentioned the, the U.S. and we've seen the popularity grow. Why, why do you think it hasn't caught on over the years, in years past?
1: I think the U.S. has been very U.S. centric in its, in its sports and you had NASCAR and IndyCar and so on. And I think Formula One's never really engaged uh, the U.S. Uh, you know, mainstream and I think that's now starting to happen and i think you know it's only a matter of time before we get a competitive u.s driver and i think that'll be another you know major step forward as well
0: you think that needs to happen
1: i think that needs to happen we've seen the effect just in mexico with uh, checo or the netherlands with max you know you see that national support that there is for for home talent
0: are you looking for to add a u.s driver
1: we're just looking for talent so if they happen to be from the u.s then that's that's great
0: what do you see as the potential in the u.s market
1: massive Massive. I think we're just scratching the surface of the potential of the U.S. And I think that uh, yeah, more races and races like Las Vegas and Miami certainly help. Um, but I think there's a lot more we can do.
0: Can you do more than three races in the U.S.? Uh,
1: potentially. Potentially you, you, you could. Um, but it's making sure they're the right races. What does that mean? Well, the, the, uh, you know, by going to Vegas, you know, is a phenomenal... Um, a venue to be racing 10 o'clock Saturday night down the strip. It's got to be that kind of draw. It can't just be a run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, race at a, uh, you know, that, uh, that doesn't spark that appeal.
0: When you think about the growth levers that F1 can, can pull, I mean, there are already, what, 24 races? Can, mm-hmm. can you afford more races, more teams?
1: No, I think we need to be selective. Maybe we need to revisit some of the races that we already attend. Um, to, be, to be selective of where do we want to be.
0: In other words, <coughs> figure out new places. Yeah, you know, should we have
1: up? two races in Italy, for example, um, you know, versus another U.S. race? You know, There's those kind of questions for the promoter um, to uh, consider.
0: Based on what? The audience size?
1: Based on its audience um, and what it brings to the sport. I mean, so many new markets as well that want to come in. It's not just the U.S.
0: What about the limiting factors? you don't see a lot of women, first of all, you don't see any women drivers, and you don't see a lot of women on the teams. Mm-hmm. Is that a problem?
1: It's changing. There's a, a lot of change in the last five years as well, that we're seeing more women interested in the sport, we're seeing more women taking roles, certainly within our team, we're seeing you know, a huge influx of, of talent and female talent. And I think on the driving side, you know, there are great initiatives to get you know, women driving, and I, but I think it goes to the grassroots. We've got to get more girls involved at six, seven, eight years of age in karting and make it accessible and inclusive. Um, and that way we're just seeing more, more women drivers coming through the sport. So that's important to you? I think it's hugely important.
0: What about the, the perception that it's an elite sport? It's hard to get in as a racer. You have to have a lot of money. And it's hard to get into the races.
1: Well, all our drivers across the two teams, are, are they're purely on talent. And I think 95% of the grid now is they're purely on talent. Um, so, uh, it is, it is a tough sport, um, but, uh, you know, there's only 20 seats. Um, so, uh, and you're seeing more and more investment going into young talent. That's what we're doing. Investing in, I think we have 18 juniors on the program at the moment. So where uh, we're investing in, we're investing in, in youth and young talent.
0: So what is the barrier to entry to getting into F1?
1: I think it's just, um, it depends in what area you want to be involved in. I think that we're seeing more and more and we're investing more and more in graduates and apprenticeships and student placements and, and so on. And I think that, you know, there's there's 10 Grand Prix teams out there that are all employing close to seven 800 people. So, um, you know, there is always going to be opportunity for, for, for talent. And I think for drivers, we're, we're seeing more getting involved at the grassroots level. And I think that's where we're looking to Support and get more more closely aligned to.
0: Should there be more than ten teams?
1: I think that's a difficult question because it depends on so many factions of um, you know operationally is it possible can you fit in a tenth team for uh, eleventh team for example in Monte Carlo where would they where would they fit Um, and then you've got the bigger question of you know who pays. Well, you
0: do. You guys get diluted, Who gets diluted. I mean,
1: I don't think the existing 10 are going to be happy to be diluted. So we'll say Liberty should pay if they want an 11th team. I'm sure the commercial rights holder is going to say, well, I'm not paying. Um, So that's the issue. Um, And uh, until that can be uh, solved or resolved, I can't see the route to an 11th team.
0: You're moving into making your own engine. Correct. Why did you make that decision?
1: Well, we made that decision because Honda chose to withdraw during the pandemic. And we we had a choice that, you know, either we go back to being a customer and we're a very demanding customer. And in many ways we felt we'd sort of outgrown that and having been used to a a works type relationship with Honda, it would have been very hard to go back to being a paying customer and to being, being the second tier supply. So that's why um, we made the decision to invest in our own facility to take control of our own future, to be the only team other than Ferrari that has engine and chassis all on one campus under one roof. And the synergistic benefits that that brings, that was the reasoning and rationale behind that.
0: Can this ever be an electric vehicle? No. Never? It shouldn't be. Why?
1: Because I think the combustion engine still has life in it. I think that sustainable fuel is um, you, you know, we, we, we aim to be net carbon zero by 2030. Um, and I think that, that we can be at the forefront of demonstrating that combustion still has a future.
0: And what is your future? What is what is the future for you at Red Bull Racing?
1: For me, I mean, I think is to keep this winning cycle going as long as we can. I'm very excited about the new uh, Red Bull Powertrain business, you know, that we run the engines for the first time in 2026. Um, so, yeah, I've got enough on my plate to keep me more than busy.
0: We've all watched the rivalry between you and Toto, you yep. and Mercedes. Is that real?
1: Yeah, I look, I mean, um, of course there's rivalry. I mean, they are uh, competitors. You know, Toto's a competitive guy. There has to be respect. I have a great respect for what he's done and achieved, uh, but they're competitors at the end of the day, and uh, they want to beat us, and we would certainly want to beat them.
0: There's also this idea that it hurts the business that you, someone, is so dominant always in Formula One. Does that hurt the business?
1: Um, look, there's always gonna be cycles and we've seen it before and we'll see it again and it's only a matter of time before we get caught. So we just wanna try and make hay while the sun shines as, as much as we can and and keep this role of, of victories, you know, maintaining. But, at some point, somebody will catch us. The field will converge. And the quickest way to do that is through stability of regulation. So um, uh, you can already see teams are starting to uh, nudge ever closer.
0: But hasn't this always been a problem for Formula One where it's two, three teams that dominate? You, Christian, want the business to succeed. I know you want to win every yeah. race. But, but tell is not really what, the best but thing? But tell me
1: which major league or sport does not have three or four teams that are you know, if I look at the premiership in the UK, if I look at NFL, for example, there are, you know, there's there's certain teams that are always there. And but I the think,
0: last team gets the first draft pick. There are more rules to make it more equitable. Yeah,
1: and I think the cost cap is going to do that, but it's going to take a period of time before that really kicks in. And I think that you're starting to see the the lower teams, you know, are starting to, to, to come up. But, um, you know, you can't dumbed down excellence at the at the end of the day and i think that it's uh, for the other teams to raise their game rather than us to lower our game
0: so success to you is winning
1: success is all about winning
0: christian thank you so much for the time we 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 so appreciate it